Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Remote Control, the Varieties TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On this week's episode, I'm talking with the team behind The Handmaid's Tale, star Elizabeth Moss and executive producers Bruce Miller and Warren Littlefield. It's back for a second season, and it more than lives up to the first. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Lizzie Moss, Bruce Miller, and Warren Littlefield, The Handmaid's Tale team. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining me. First of all, congratulations on all of the awards, winning everything in the book. How's it feel? Has it sunk in? It's not a bad feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been it's it's been amazing. It hasn't really sunk in for me. I mean, it's my first time going to most of those shows. I think I've ruined it for myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a little surreal. Um, it, 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 there's been so much love, um, and it makes us feel, I think, like okay, we can't let the audience down. We can't let the critics down. Um, it kind of makes us charge forward. It's a really good feeling. Yeah, especially with, with these guys. I mean, I think that's not something that everybody says, but the fact that it makes us want to just work harder and make it even better is is kind of the attitude behind the show. Given that, how do you approach the second season? What are your thought processes going into it? How are you going to live up to this fantastic success that you've had? I think, I th- yeah, that's what I think. I think the first thing to do is forget about the first season. Um, you know, we approached the first season as, um, you know, uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to think about it. We're going to figure out, you know, the story from uh, June's point of view and move her through this world. And that's exactly what we're doing with season two. I think we said at the beginning of the season, the biggest barrier to a good season two was success in season one. So we should try to put that on the shelf and just try to make something that we think is interesting and cool. And season two has new dimensions. Um, we go to the colonies. Um, it's season two is ambitious. That is a world where unwomen are sent. It's a it's a hell, um, but it's massive um, and and deeply deeply personal and powerful. Um, we we tell the history of how did this whole Gilead thing happen. Where did it begin? What were moments that audiences hopefully will recognize? Very um, airports, things things that we all experience in life put against our drama. So um, I think we're not repeating ourselves, and I think that's a really important element of, of delivering for year two. And what about you from your perspective? Were there things that you didn't accomplish in the first season that you wanted to accomplish in the second season? Yeah. I mean, always. There's so much of the book that I feel, and I know we all feel like we, you know, we didn't get to do in season one and that we get to explore now, even if it's just two lines that Margaret mentions or a character that she talks about that we don't get to meet. You know, we, we, or the colonies, you know, 
where we always feel like there's so much left. Even now, knowing what season two is, there's so much left that I think we feel like we still want to do. Um, you know, I mean, for me, I'm a very, very lucky actor. I get consistently terribly challenged by this material. <laughs> and, and it is exactly what I want. And it's also, um, I know that, that Bruce wouldn't have it any other way. And I wouldn't have it any other way. But I do genuinely feel, and this is not something that every actor can say, and I know I can speak for the rest of my cast as well, that you get a script and you read a scene and you're like, all right, here goes. <laughs> Got to figure out how to do this one. And you think that oh, I couldn't possibly have anything left to explore. I couldn't possibly have any challenge that I haven't already done. We've already done the worst possible stuff to June. How could we do anything worse? And then he, he does it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's, it's exciting now. And I think that that's kind of a very, it's a very privileged position to be working with, with these guys and to have that. And then I'll let you guys return the compliment. Oh, God. They've complimented me enough today. They're fine. Um, it, does, it does allow you... Um, to write stuff that you didn't think you'd ever be able to write. When you have um, our cast and our crew, um, and especially Lizzie, um, you can do stuff that you didn't think was possible for someone to perform. And you can write it, and then we talk about it, and then you can hone it, and you can make it, um, you can explore it together. And that kind of communication makes it possible to do stuff that you know you just wouldn't imagine was possible to communicate on screen emotions that you just didn't think were they're too subtle they're too complicated they're too weird but you know we have a bunch of people and they're all game and they're very supportive of each other mm -hmm. um, and you put them in a scene where you don't imagine that that this scene is going to be even watchable palatable um, and they find a way to make it interesting and make you feel empathy for the wrong person in the scene <laughs> it's like uh, it's amazing yeah. Yeah. some challenges there for you yes yes exactly some of the most powerful scenes, too, are often the ones without dialogue, when the camera's just looking at your face. How do you get yourself into that mindset? Is it, a, you know, I, can't, I don't imagine it's hugely challenging for you. You know, I don't, I don't really get out of it. I mean, we work so much, and I work so much on the show, and, you know, I'm there with that crew with 60, 80 hours a week. And so and when you're not working, you're watching a cut of a previous episode or you're reading the script of the next episode. So you're never really out of it. Um, there's not a really – that, which is great. I mean, you don't have to get that – you know, I, I've been on a show where you – with Mad Men where you come in and you do two days and then you've got two weeks off. And that's actually a lot harder. It's actually easier to stay in it the way that I get to stay in it with June on the show. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, there's no mindset to get into. That is just my mindset. It's just normal for me, <laughs> my normal state. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. It just sounds terrible. She works such, she, she works such extraordinarily long hours. Uh, I, I mean, even that's kind of unfathomable to the, you know, there, there are days where she's in every shot, much less every scene. Um, and... I think I think that that in some ways she stays in it, but in other ways she doesn't. I mean, I mean, she comes to work, you know, happy and positive and professional and and relaxed every day. And her character is not super happy, not super casual, not super <laughs> relaxed. Um, but, no spoilers there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I I think that that um, she uh, she's always in the the mode of being able to do that. Mm -hmm. And and all the, and being comfortable around the crew and being you know uh, n not feeling like anybody is is I mean it really is a very relaxed kind of open mm -hmm. group where you don't feel like anybody is sitting around being crabby or someone sitting around not saying something that that you know there's just not that feeling so I think that for 
for um, it, it, it isn't carrying uh, the burden of off-red around. Um, it's uh, it's being able to access that that burden when you when you need to. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, but I, you know, I don't. I think we do a lot a lot with stage direction for that stuff. That you know, mm-hmm. people think of the script as the dialogue, and 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 but because we have such a paucity of dialogue, we tend to um, kind of strictly give Lizzie at least a, 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 a train track to run on of this is the emotional train track and, and so that she knows, you know, it, it's not pointless. It's, mm-hmm. you know, she knows what what I'm trying to do and then and then she can play with it from there but I think you have to give, you have to give people a, some sort of thread to hold on to. Some sort of path, yeah. And so much of what we do as well is what you mentioned, of course, about the lack of dialogue and how sometimes that's those the most important moments. But it's also that when we do speak often, you know, especially in season one, which is very much Gilead, 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 it is, you know, that you're not saying what you mean. And that's so fun. Like, that's so fun for us as actors because we're always trying to play two things at once. You're always trying to have that duality. Mm-hmm. And it's in the script for us, which is so great that, you know, you're all the time saying something to a character and you mean it's the like exact 99%, opposite. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So that's, yeah. that's another kind of fun thing that we get to do. But I think the other thing we realized, Bruce and I were looking at the very first hour of the show and, and with no dialogue, um, with no action, with just the intimacy of that camera, we realized there was an entire narrative that was playing out with the camera extremely close up on Lizzie's face. And that was the moment where we went, this is a show. This is, we're connected to an entire dramatic thrust and it's absolutely silent and the camera's not moving, we're just there. Mm -hmm. And it's that point of view, that talent, that, takes us to where we've gone and where we're headed. It also challenges the audience and rewards close viewing. To your point, you know, what you're saying is often different than what you mean. You have to pay attention to every aspect, everything that you're... I mean, this is a really, you know, 360 production. Every element means something and says something. Uh, yeah, I think the the way we think about that is everything we do is on purpose. Mm. Um, you know, everything from, from the tiniest wardrobe details that Anne Crabtree puts in to the 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 posters on the walls and and every single thing has meaning. I was having a conversation the other day about how to make you know what bird sounds to put into a scene because in Gilead with with the environmental changes that they've put into place, there would be more local birds, you know, indigenous birds that have come back to to Cambridge. That's the level of detail that you get into and. Each one of those little decisions may seem like nothing, but you pile them on top of each other. And that's really a lesson that I personally learned from Wizzie as an actor, is that mm-hmm. she makes everything is on purpose. Mm-hmm. Every single thing is on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's pushed me to be more rigorous with all of that stuff because you realize what that it's an additive game, that things add up to stuff. It's not like you come in and do your big showy number. It's the opposite of little tiny things add up to a good ep- episode. And you don't come in and, and go, oh, I'm just going to learn my lines, and that's all the only thing I need to pay attention to in the script. I can't tell you how many times on set I've taken that script and read very very closely what exactly Bruce has written that is happening 
and you know there's details and it's not a it's a, you know it's not a suggestion <laughs> <laughs> but i don't tell you what to do i just tell not, you how it feels not emotionally exactly yeah. it's not like this is how you're going to do it but this is also we have a shorthand at this point where i kind of know what he's where he's going with something quite often but it is it is very sort of this is not this is something that is labored over and is very specific. It's not just here are your lines and you're in this you're 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 on the street. That's not. It's, it's very. It's you know you have to really pay attention to that script. How do you strike the right tone for the show without making it? You know, it's a pretty dark world, but there's still humanity and and hopefully some humor in all of this. How do you land on that right note? Uh, well, I, I I rely a lot on the character of June. That her point of view, her perspective on this, that she's a human being in the world and she has my experiences and, and you know, similar to Lizzie's experiences. And, and you know, June is not that front and center in the book. The character is a little more off-red in the book. And so Lizzie has really built a June for us. And it's got a lot of her kind of uh, intelligence and sense of humor and also sense of perspective and, and also kind of fearless sense of humor that always no matter no matter how bad the situation is June always is thinking really this is my Thursday this is really what I'm doing <laughs> and so that whole part of it the, the absurdity of it and that's where the the comedy comes from um and you just don't want to forget that that these are these are real people living in this world and real people you know it, it isn't just one note. I mean, they have their days that, you know, at some point in the day, they're hungry. At some point in the day, they're crabby. At some point, they have to go to the bathroom. These are real people who have all the things going on that we do, in addition to kind of living in this very weird world. And so the the, the when people become not believable as people, you, you stop being scared for them. So they have to be believable as people in full, including their sense of humor. I think sense of humor is like the last thing to that and like fashion are the two last things to go. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, people in concentration camps altered their outfits a little. They gossiped and they, you know, and they made horrible, horrible, dark jokes to each other. Yeah. The first season was created, I know, before you know the current political situation. Now you're, you know, approaching a second season where the, you know, the prescience of the first season really seems, you know, uh, you know, relevant right now. How did you know? Did you feel that was something you wanted to fold into the show, or the show just existed on its own? Uh, from from the very first conversations about season two, um, I started talking about Margaret about season two at the beginning of season one because you know you can't really think about the what you're gonna you know the book is very is very much has such a frustrating ending that all you want to do <laughs> the entire world spent thirty five years thinking about season two it wasn't just me <laughs> um, so you know you you, you kind of uh, think about it. Early on, and then as the world changes, I think you you the key is letting those things influence you, not pulling them in, not trying to glue them into an episode, but but being part of the world and you know reading the newspaper in the morning. No one reads the newspaper except me anymore. But, uh, you know, <laughs> listen, you, keep print. <laughs> uh, you know, any 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 uh, letting the world and the things that are going on in the world, uh, thinking about them, letting them sit with you, uh, and and I I think at least. Because the things in the world are so – things are so uh, – making people so nervous and in such disarray and seemingly so volatile that that can't help but uh, affect what you bring into the writer's room. But it only affects you if you pay attention. So that's – I think our job is to try to do our jobs, come up with good stories and pay attention to the real world. And those things come together naturally. I think there's a difference between us and MSNBC. 
um, and MSNBC and all the news services and 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 print uh, have a incredibly powerful role in our lives right now. But we also need to do a compelling human feminist drama, and and I think that's the job that we take quite seriously. If it's also relevant because of the world we're living in, okay, yeah, we we accept the responsibility of that. But I think we have to separate. We're, we're not the news. Mm-hmm. And the relevance of the show, I think, is a, hopefully we leave that to the audience. Um, because that's a response or a, a critique of the show rather than what you're putting in. Mm-hmm. It's what someone takes out. It just always feels like it can be. it's one day in the future. There are moments that happen and they're just absolutely chilling. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. I've always tried to approach June as, as just a human being, as, as what you or I or Bruce or Warren would do or be like in that situation. Uh, you know, she is a hero in, in so many ways, and I love that about her. She's maybe, but I think that if I was put into that world in that situation, I would hope that I would find that heroism as well. Um, you know, so I, she responds, I try to have her respond in a way if I saw that what would I how would I actually respond to that if I needed to do something how would I actually go about doing it and I think there's a very human element to these characters that that is for me the relevancy that's for me what people respond to as well is seeing not only June but all the actors they they see themselves in these characters and that is I think to me what what really you feel often when you feel the relevancy of it it's not just politically or socially you feel Oh my God! I've I, I've experienced that. Or oh, I would. That's what I would do in that situation. And that's how I would feel. That to me is interesting as an actor. So where do we find June in the second season? We know she's pregnant. What does that mean for her? The pregnancy and motherhood is definitely a huge part of the second season. Um, Bruce and I have talked about it as it, you know it's a ticking time bomb. It's something that is a very very good thing, a very beautiful thing. It's come out of a beautiful sort of accidental love affair um it's a beautiful thing to be a mother and to have a child but june is dealing with a very specific circumstance in gilead of that that child will get taken away from her and she won't be able to raise it and then she doesn't know what's going to happen to it and is a child is that a place to raise a child in gilead so there's it's very it's very complicated (laughs) very complicated pregnancy um so you know it's it's something that for for not just my character but for a lot of people in the show is something that is definitely this this thing that continues to grow, literally and figuratively, and definitely is a, is constantly present. And June has to figure out what this baby means to her. How do you be a mother to this child? How do you, that is different from being a mother to Hannah? Um, Hannah is always also present as well, you know, and that's constant search for her. So, you know, she really is kind of figuring out what is her relationship to this child and how is she going to be the best mother possible to it. And that's a big part of the show, the season. Are we going to see more of Hannah? I can't tell you. That. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, though. Okay. <laughs> it's a natural segue. In, in flashbacks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In flashbacks, yes, you will see Hannah. Is it going to have that same tone where the flashbacks are relevant to the scenes we're experiencing right now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the flashbacks are are uh, part of the story. You don't want them to be sitting there on their own or be their own story. You always want them to reflect back on what's happening, not just in the stories that are involving the characters who are in the flashbacks, the whole episode, the whole season. You know, we pick, we're incredibly careful about what we decide to show in flashbacks. 
uh, even though it seems kind of like we pick random scenes from the, the past of 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 June's life, we're, it's not random at all. We're telling certain stories about her life at certain points, and those are always connected uh, quite directly to the kind of the who the who the woman is now. Yeah, I love one of my favorite things about the script is when you read it and you're going through whatever is the present circumstances and you go into a flashback and after maybe two of them you start to go oh that's what this that's what this episode is about and I get it it's about and that's how it's relevant to the present and it's a, it's always a sort of like very specific like he was saying earlier very specific plan it is not just random we're not just going to now show June with Moira it is very specific as to what how it pertains to yeah not only June but other characters in the episode it's all on purpose all on purpose. No accidents. No accidents. <laughs> Except the happy ones. <laughs> I know you mentioned too that there are sort of crumbs of you know the novel that you didn't get to explore in the first season. How much of an open platform do you have to you know to build the world for the second season? And how much are you still taking from the novel that's that you didn't get to tap, tap into yet? Uh, well, I think uh, the answer to the first part of the question is is that we have as much latitude as we want. I mean, uh, you know, both both who and MGM are, have been incredibly generous and trusting creative partners and, and Margaret as well. Uh, but in making that choice, we there are lots of things we want to do from season one. Um, and it isn't it's it's more seeds than crumbs. It's more things mm-hmm. that that are planted and, and bloom later on. Things that Margaret mentioned one or two lines here and there that we've made whole episodes and now whole worlds out of. So I think that, you know, it all, we aren't going beyond the book because, you know, Margaret and that, that's the the mother of us all. That's the book of Genesis for us. So I don't think we're going beyond it. I think we're we're using it as a launching point to take the next step. But in the first season, we did a lot of stuff that wasn't in the book or changed a lot of things. It felt so on book that you didn't notice. Mm-hmm. But that you know, I was trying to make you not notice. So that in season two, when we do things you didn't see before, you still feel like, hey, was that in the book? Yeah, you know? I love when I say to somebody like they're like, oh my god, what are you doing now in season two? It's past the book. And I love pointing out them to them things that were changed from the book that we did differently that Margaret obviously like approved of but that you know we kept keep characters alive there's at least two characters that die in the book that are still in the show mm-hmm. you know stuff like yeah. that but because the writers room with Margaret's help did such a great job of keeping it on book mm-hmm. you don't notice <laughs> how did you approach creating the colonies? I mean, it's something we got a little flavor of in the book, but obviously, as you mentioned, it's a pretty dark world. I, I think the first step was, and, 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 and I'll let Warren comment on this, the first step was thinking ahead. Uh, really sitting down very early on and thinking, what are the specific where are the worlds we want to go to and and what are the ones we want to explore in depth and how how early can we start production solving those practical problems so that when we get there because TV you don't have enough time to prepare per episode you've got to be thinking ahead so you know it was the middle of season 1 where we started talking about the colonies and then we started creating it um early in the summer um we had extensive discussions and crabtree went to work on her vision of what the wardrobe would look like. We started scouting uh, that world. It's a, it's a massive world um, where 
filled with toxic waste and where unwomen are sentenced to. Just um, like Los Angeles. It's, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> See, that is Bruce Miller. He, despite whatever the dramatic narrative is, we will laugh with Bruce Miller. Yes. <laughs> so um, it's the colonies are beautiful, haunting, and incredibly ugly. Um, and uh, we're proud of the scope and the new dimension that we added to the show in, in how we produce them. And in order to do it, you know, you have to think ahead. Um, and that's one of the good things about having so many people on our show, especially the three here who've done a lot of TV. You, you, because you've done it, the, the process isn't a surprise to you, and you're not scared of the process. You're just trying to say, okay, well, how much can we get out of the process? Not, not that we can get everything or nothing, but how much can we get out of the process? And, and so trying very hard to say, okay, we're, we want to do the colonies. The way to get the most out is to start early, and that's where we're going to get the most out. It's not going to be exactly you know, what we imagine. It's going to be different. That's good. Uh, but I think that uh, having both big dreams and realistic parts of our mind are, are, are the, the marrying the two things that you need to do in a television show. The night we finished shooting at the colonies, it was in the wee hours of the morning. It was extremely cold. We were in a 150-year-old barn where, where the women were housed. Um, and the conditions were severe. Um, and Marissa Tomei, our guest star, at the end of that shooting experience, all the extras, these women who had truly endured to, to be a part of the shoot, they all gathered and, and wept because, and I, I was like, what's going on? They didn't want it to end. They did. They had such a collective experience. Um, it was it was haunting to be with them in that moment, and you'll see um, what they all brought to bringing that world to life. Any other guest stars coming this season? Yes. Any <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. you care to name? Uh, I, I I think. All of the actors who come on our show are guest stars. Um, uh, no, I wouldn't want to give anything away to the, the audience, but we've been very lucky and happy with the, the people who have um, either moved their schedule around quite a bit to come on our show or come in and audition. And, and you know, we're, we're just, it's great to have you know, new people come into the family. Um, and Dad's not in the room, but um, just want to give her a shout <laughs> She's out. She's not. <laughs> Anne, where are you? <laughs> what has she brought to the performance? Oh boy! Oh my gosh! I mean, <laughs> Anne's perform. Well, first of all, Anne is just a lovely presence uh, in in general. I, I don't think you can can let that go by. She's the most warm, generous, lovely woman. Uh, you know, a mentor as an actor, especially to all the handmaids who pretend to be her terrified flock. Um, uh, you know, I think she's made them really enjoy acting. You know, they they came in as background artists and they've all turned into real actors. Um, uh, she's she finds the the motivations and the moral side of of Aunt Lydia and it's a miracle uh, you know you feel sorry for Aunt Lydia you understand Aunt Lydia you're not angry at Aunt Lydia you don't think Aunt Lydia is uh, you know a, a delusion you know delusionary sadist you think of her as a woman who's just doing her duty and and uh, all of those things together are 
each one of those things I think is you know paramount to impossible and and she does them all uh, not effortlessly she works her ass off to do it but boy when she pulls it together it seems effortless it's a really good day when we get to work with Ann Dowd we and not just because she's a Patriots fan (laughs) and she she is Um, but but Bruce is right there's this remarkable spirit that that comes over all of us in working with with Anne, and then then next thing you know, it's Aunt Lydia, and you're a little afraid of her. I'm scared uh, of her. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a remarkable, a remarkable, and such an important part of our work. Yeah, she does. So I think what any kind of great actor does is she does not look at her character as of as of the villain or the hero. Uh, you know, she looks at Aunt Lydia as a woman, as a human being, and she injects this sense of empathy and humanity and humor, which Anne is very, very funny. She's mm-hmm. one of the funniest mm-hmm. people you'll ever meet. She's super quick, really funny, very dark sense of humor, very intelligent. And I think you see a lot of that in Aunt Lydia, and I think that's why people are so attracted to and mesmerized by her performance because you know that you're supposed to hate her and you know that you're supposed to be afraid of her or angry at her but somehow you can't stop watching and you somehow can't be and I think that's confusing for you as an audience member so you're sort of it's that it's like this push and pull and and you don't know why but you can't look away and I mean she is I the it is one of the great privileges of my life to get to act with with her, when she tolls the bells in that that opening hour, mm-hmm. um, you weep for her. Yeah, you feel like she's a uh, all with all of the humanity and depth and background and life that she has lived is all there with Aunt Lydia. It's and being on the other side of it, especially the scenes that are just you two. Mm. Um, there's a scene in the in the first episode this year where they're having they're not eating together. <laughs> Um, and, and it's just the, it's just the two of them, and and even writing that, I was all excited. But it's, I mean, it is like watching the the greatest tennis match you've ever seen, and you get to sit courtside, and the hair on the back of your neck stands up when they do it. I, I, I mean, it, it's one thing to watch it on TV; it's you know one thing to watch it on tape. But to sit in that room and watch those guys do that, it, you know, it's it's. I don't think you you don't get. You know, chances like that ever i mean it's 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 a remarkable unique experience and, and it's every time you see it it's uh, you learn something new and you understand something new about how that work can be done and how you know two people add up to a lot more than two people and Anne and i love each other so much and we're actually even closer now than we were last season and um we because we got some more stuff to do together and and so we've fallen deeply in love and Spin off uh, coming. Yes. (laughs) Here to announce her relationship. Uh, Apologies to Larry, her husband. Um, But yeah, so we're we're really close. So we have so much fun. It's so fun when you're when you actually love someone so much to have that combative relationship on camera. Yeah, that first hour is pretty devastating. Oh, uh, I'll stop. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's what we're shooting. (laughs) <laughs> just wait um, how involved was Margaret in the second season was she you know hands on on production and what and what questions did you guys have for her oh my gosh uh, you know we always have a million questions for Margaret Margaret I don't know if you know but she has this other job as an author 
Really? Uh, yes, and and, she, and she's super busy with that, so we never get enough time even with her. But um, she, you know, she reads all the scripts. She's about to start watching cuts now that we're finishing cuts. Um, and she's, uh, we started to have conversations, very detailed conversations last season about this season. Um, so a lot of our our big decisions and and things that we had to decide were made in the before this season began. So as we've gone through this season, it's been much more kind of questions of execution as opposed to questions of conception. So um, she is always thoughtful and always um, open to stuff that, that, that you know, it, she created a world and she's handed it to me and to us. Um, and you never feel like you're treading on her territory. She always makes you feel like you're treading on territory with her. Um, so that that's the best thing about our collaboration. But, you know, we go to her with, with lots and lots of stuff. Um, and I don't think this is, I don't think we're going beyond the book. The book takes place there's a 200-year gap or something between the end of the book and the and the uh, historical notes, and we're just doing that part. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Margaret works alone in a room as an author. Um, <laughs> when she gets a chance to interact with Bruce and the writing staff, she was, like, giddy. She was like a, a teenager of, like, oh, my God. You the get other a room. members you, of the same cult. Yeah, yeah. You, you get a room filled with incredibly intelligent people and ideas are bouncing off the walls. She was really turned on like by that experience. the inside of her head. Yeah, we, we don't get a lot of it. Um, but wow, we try and get the most out of it when we do have Margaret. And and when she, I mean, she she comes on set a couple of times during the year. Um, she looks at all sorts of stuff. Um, she's uh, almost kind of universally just encouraging to to us to you know um, you know be brave and great forces will come to your aid. I did an event in Toronto with her, and. Um, she spoke, and then I had to get up and, and I had to read a passage from the book uh, in front of her. <laughs> and, yes. And they were like, do you want to pick a passage? And I was like, let's let Margaret Atwood pick the passage. <laughs> and, of course, she picked, I think I told you this, she picked the egg one. Oh, my God. Which is such a, like, of course, it's such a writer. Like, yes, yeah, that makes right. so much sense that she yeah. picked that passage. And it's because it's so beautiful. Oh my god! I was, I've done the show. I played June. I've done voiceover. I've obviously done this so much, and I was like shaking, yeah. having to speak in front of her. But she was so complimentary before and afterwards that to me, after everything and all the awards and the things and the all the people, like having somebody who wrote that character, who dream, who dreamt that character up originally, and having her say yes, yes, is is beyond what you can imagine. It's incredible. As a fan of the book, it's incredible. Yeah, and we're and that's the thing I think we've all developed, which is that our our awe and fandom for the book hasn't dimmed at all yeah. in the time. You know, you, you I've read it, you know, uh, a few times now, and and, and, you, and you start to realize that you you start you know digging around in little you know commas and parentheses and stuff and kind of building out worlds from there, and it doesn't get old. I mean, I've read the book a lot since I read it first in college and. I enjoy it. I mean, it's not like I don't. It's not work to to reread the book. It's kind of a pleasure to you know, uh, you know, see the clockwork that's in Margaret's head. Yeah. If you had to use one word to describe the second season, what word would you use? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> one word. 
Yeah, that is actually what I usually say. It is resist. I mean, it's so hard to say one word because there's so many other things that go with resist. But if you had to use one, resist. Cosine? Resist? Uh, n- no. Because because I look at it I look at it differently because there's certainly amount of um, Lizzie as much as as much as there's Lizzie the the executive producer of the show uh, Lizzie the actress I think looks at you know in terms of what, yeah what, from be, the inside yeah yeah for for me I, I I feel like the the season is about you know kind of motherhood what does it what does it mean to to be a mother to a to a child you know um, just because to see you know, June going through that and there's, you know, similar stories that have to do with other characters, including especially Serena, you know, who's who's thinking she's going to be a mother, a weird kind of mother. Defining motherhood through the season was really, uh, it's one of the most interesting things I think we've uh, tackled so far. Certainly, you know, it's a 13-episode question, a 26, 90-episode question, so we're not <laughs> getting that far with it, but that's what I feel the season's about. Uh, Gilead is within you. I know that's not one word, but whether you're with Moira in Toronto, um, Gilead is within you. Whether June is on her quest for freedom, you never get away from Gilead. And I think that thematic permeates everything in season two. Well, it's a perfect note to end on. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. For Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. I'll be talking with Aline Brash McKenna, the executive producer of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. See you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.